0: All right, awesome, man, okay, I made a mistake here, I had Baptists talk about food, that's, that's why we can't, <laughs> some of you look really hungry now for some reason, yeah, so my mom makes these uh, popovers, uh, you, know, you know what I mean by popovers, it's like this eggy flour like thing and it you know, like mushrooms up out of the pan, it's kind of a Midwest thing, how many of you know what popovers are? Yeah, you put honey in them and butter, and they're just, oh, man, fabulous. Anyway, I'm really looking forward to that. I get on a plane uh, tomorrow morning at like 6 a.m. With the, with the whole tribe, and we, are, we have to make a connection and all this stuff, but it'll be, pray for our family. It's going to be... <laughs> But we're going back to Ohio to be with my folks. It'll be great. We're really looking forward to that. So happy Thanksgiving. You know, and, you know, Thanksgiving is supposed to be this gratitude time, full of gratitude and happiness, warm feelings, you know, all that kind of stuff. But I was reading an article this week, and it turns out it's like the most stressful holiday of the year for Americans, right? How many of you are feeling that a little bit, just a little bit of stress? It's a bit of pressure, isn't it? Why is, why is Thanksgiving so stressful? It's because it's of family, isn't it? It's because of family. And when you get together with family, there's expectations. There's expectations. This is how it will go. This is how it's going to be. It's going to be great. And, like, and then you remember last year, and you're like, oh, yeah, hope that doesn't happen again, right? And Aunt Mildred comes in, and she's all wound up about something. And Uncle Harold comes in, and he's like all, you know, he's all political, and he's like doing his rants. And you're like, oh, my goodness, can we just... Do turkey and like and there's these there's all this pressure of like to have a good time and for it to be good and you feel that a little bit don't you and 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 so this this thing that's supposed to be gratitude and unleashing and it's so often not that it's so stressful it can be this this whole thing and what I'm always surprised at is how much work gratitude actually takes if you think about it, it takes a lot of work to cultivate gratitude. Have you noticed this about yourself? In other words, the natural gravitational pull of our souls is inward, right? It's to make things about me and to to be thinking about my needs and what I want, and all right. That's the natural gravitational pull, which means that grat- gratitude is the opposite trajectory. Right, So if the, gra- if the gravity of our souls pulls inward, gratitude defies that gravity and blasts outward into selflessness and generosity and all of that. And just like a booster rocket on, on the shuttle or whatever, it takes an enormous amount of energy just to break that gravitational pull, doesn't it? Enormous amount. And and our souls are wired for that, and and that's how we are. And as a matter of fact, um, in uh, mental health literature, you will find that gratitude is correlated. It, it's an indicator of mental of mental health. That being grateful is is an indicator of mental stability and health. In other words, when we're when we're well, when we're thinking well, when we're operating with emotional intelligence and health, we we more easily are grateful, and when we're unhealthy, negative, pulled inward, we find ourselves, it, it's a lot more work to try to force ourselves to be grateful. Do you know this, this, this kind of feeling? As a matter of fact, there's, um, I'm a little, I'm going to geek out on you a little bit here, but there's this whole study of like brain science and stuff that's really exploded in the last couple decades, um, and the reason for this is for a long time we couldn't study the brain unless it was dead, Right? And now we can actually observe the brain while it's alive. And so there's this whole field of research that's opening up. And so they, they talk about executive functions, which is your, sort of your ability to think outside yourself a little bit, your executive functions. So in other words, when you're full of fear and you're acting in fight and flight and all that kind of stuff, that's lower brain function. Your executive functions allow you to think about what you're doing and, and actually resolve it, regulate it, uh, think above it that kind of thing, that's executive function. They they've found that when your executive functions shut down, it's impossible to be grateful. And so gratitude is correlated with your executive functions working, and gratitude when it's absent is an indicator that those functions are shut down. This is interesting. Therapists will also prescribe gratitude exercises as a way to reboot the executive center of your brain. Isn't that interesting? So, so gratitude is correlated. It's an indicator of mental health. It's also an indicator of spiritual health, spiritual health. So when we are spiritually healthy, when we know who God is, we're living in light of the identity of who he has called us to be. We're centering into the truth of his word. We're living in obedience and health with him and with other people, spiritual health. Gratitude naturally flows and when we're spiritually unhealthy, gratitude is difficult, and if, you know, at best, forced. Does that make sense? So here's the question I have, right? So we're walking into Thanksgiving now. What if I'm not grateful? <laughs> what if I'm walking into the week where I'm supposed to be grateful? When everyone around me says, they're, you're supposed to be grateful on Thursday, you know? You have four days. You figure it out, Right? <laughs> But what if I'm not? What if I'm not naturally feeling very grateful right now? What if I'm stressed? What if I'm anxious? What if I'm grieving? What if I'm dealing with fear and pains in my life and I don't actually feel it? I want to be grateful. I'd like to be grateful. I'd like to think I'm a grateful person. But at the end of the day, if I'm honest, I'm not there right now. What do I do? What do we do? Well, we're going to look at Psalm chapter 100, 100, the 100th Psalm today, and it will be incredibly helpful in answering this question. Is what do I do when I want to be grat- grateful, but I'm, I'm not there yet? Okay? So grab your Bible, Psalm chapter 100, Psalm 100, and uh, this is page 500 in your Black Pew Bible that's there by your knees, and if you didn't bring a Bible and want to use that, that would be great. Okay, Psalm 100, page 500, just five verses, let me read them for us, and then we'll jump right in, okay? Psalm 100, verse 1, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth, serve the Lord with gladness, come into his presence with singing, know that the Lord, he is God, It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name for the Lord is good. And his steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. Thanks be to the Lord for the reading of his Word. So this morning what I want to do I want us to just look at three buckets here okay the right here from the psalm we're going to look at the joy of gratitude the heart of gratitude and the secret of gratitude okay the joy the heart and the secret of gratitude first the joy this psalm is a call to worship uh, if you think of it in terms of liturgy, this is a call to worship. Uh, it is a call to gratitude, to thanksgiving, to worship and praise, to, to render service unto God, to sing joyfully in his presence, to come into the ancient temple in Jerusalem, uh, the uh, Jewish temple overflowing with praise and songs of gratitude to bless the name of the Lord and give thanks unto his name. This is what this is. And so this is likely a psalm that was used in one of the great Jewish uh, festivals or feasts. What you have is a pilgrimage from all over the nation of Israel, people from all different places who are coming, streaming in, uh, who are bringing their thank offerings, their their offerings of thanksgiving and praise and worship. They're coming to the temple to present these offerings to God, and so this is the idea of come on in, enter the gates with thanksgiving and praise, he deserves it, serve up these sacrifices, these gifts, these offerings in his presence, And, and, and of course there's a great feast that is shared by the nation uh, coming out of this. Probably, even likely, this might be harvest time when they're coming and bringing their gifts, their first fruits from the harvest, and they're going to share a meal, and all the poor people from all over the nation will come, and they will eat and feast with everyone else, and it's this great national celebration. It's not unlike this next week for us in our nation. It's a, it's a moment where the nation paused and gave thanks to God. Now, what I want you to see here is the structure of this psalm, because the structure is super important, and it has all kinds of implications for us, okay? But I want you to see first, do you notice that verses 1 and 2 are parallel to verse 4? Verses 1 and 2 are parallel to verse 4. 4. Let me just read them. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Hop down to verse 4. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. Both of these verses, these three verses, both of these sections are parallel with each other. They're both of them a call to live in joyous worship, aren't they? It's both both sections are about that. Live in joyous worship. Come, sing songs. Give service. Give praise. Come with thanksgiving and praise entering the courts of God. This is the scene. Okay? Live in joyous worship. The second thing I want you to see is verses 3 and 5 are actually parallel as well. Look at verse 3. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture for the Lord is good and his steadfast love endures forever his faithfulness to all generations. So the first those first pair are all about living in joyous worship of God and the second pair are giving the joyful realities that ground the call to the worship in the other two. So it's marbling back and forth, but it's saying, live in joyous worship because of these joyous realities, right? And notice that in the, in the first pairing, you have imperatives. They're, they're, they're commands, right? Make a joyful noise. Serve the Lord. Come before him with singing. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. They're commands, they're, they're imperatives. We have to do them, right? He's saying, come do it. This, you have to do it. And then he says, but I'm not just going to make you do it just because you're supposed to do it or because you can just screw up your willpower and go do it. He says, no, let me give you the foundation of it, the grounds of it down below because of these joyous realities I'm now going to call you to worship because the Lord is God. God. Because he made us and we are his, he is good, he is loving, he is faithful. This is the basis, the reason, the fountain of the call to worship above. In other words, what he's saying is gratitude is the necessary fruit of good theology. Do you see that? Gratitude is the necessary fruit of good theology there's not listen biblically speaking, to get your head around who God is is not an end in and of itself. It is meant to propel us into worship and gratitude and thankfulness and praise for all that God is for us. So to live to, to know who God is is to be changed, and that change will evidence itself in Gratitude. You see the connections. Now, there's something that can break down between those between those two things: A, a discovery of the truth of who God is and a grateful lifestyle. Where's the breakdown? Where does it break down between the reality of who God is and a grateful life of generosity and praise and all that? Where does it break down? Right here in my heart. In my heart. So this takes us to the second part. The heart of gratitude. Okay, The heart of gratitude. Let's talk about this for a second. Do you, do you see that there's a sequence here? He's saying that that, that, that starts with a, an encounter with truth. A radical uh, understanding of who God is for us that then stirs up our affections. Affections is more than just emotions. Affections is like the deep, uh, the deep emotions of our lives. So not like infatuation, but like falling in love. That's affections, okay? Not just emotions, but affections. So God, a radical understanding of who God is for us that stirs up the affections in my soul, which prompts me to worship God And that worship reframes my life so that I live in a different way and my behavior is actually affected. Do you see the sequencing here? There's a logic to this progression. If I've got to know the truth to know who God is for me, in order that my affections might be stirred up and I might worship and then live differently in light of what I've seen or know. Which means that every piece of this these pieces are foundational to the next piece. In other words, I, I, if, if I don't see the truth, I'm never going to have my affection stirred. If I don't have my affection stirred, I'm never going to go worship. And if I don't go worship, I'm never going to behave in a different way. And this is huge because we started this by asking the question what if I'm not grateful? What if I find myself in a position where my behavior is not behavior that's consistent with gratitude? I don't feel like giving thanks. I don't feel like being grateful. I don't feel like, right? And so often we go over to the behavior and we try to fix behavior with more behaviors. This is January 1 and New Year's resolutions. And they work for a month, but come February you're stuck, right? Why? Because you can't fix behavior with behavior. The only way I'm going to modify my behavior is if I, the key to understanding how to change behavior lies in worship. And the key to understanding how to change my worship lies in my affections. And the key to understanding my affections, changing my affections is an encounter with reality and truth. Do you see that? So if you want to change behavior, you've got to get earlier in the cycle so you can actually change it on the back end. You change the input to get the outcome to change. Does that make sense? This is huge. So if you want gratitude, if we want to be people of gratitude and generosity who are willing to give and share and become, like we're like, oh man, that's who I want to be. That's who I want to be this Thanksgiving. It's who I want to be all year long. It's who all the people you like to hang out with are like that. Don't you want to be one of them? Yeah. So you got to get back over here. See? So, what we're gonna do now and the rest of our time together is I want to share eight grand truths from this psalm. I'm sorry, six. Where did I come up with eight? I don't know. Six grand truths of who God is for you this week. That that listen, this is even if the turkey burns, these are true. Even if the car breaks down, even if Mildred blows a gasket, this is true. Okay, even if nothing goes the way you hope it does, these things are true. You can bank on them and put your heart in them. And here's my prayer. Here's my prayer. As we look at these six things, my prayer is that you would have a fresh encounter with these truths that would stir your affections, that would change your heart toward worship and would modify your behavior so that you become the grateful people that you are called to be. Does that make sense? This is what I'm praying for me too. Fresh encounter with truth. It changes our affections. that makes us worship and behave differently. This is what we're going to do this morning. Okay? Six of them. Secrets of gratitude. Right here. This is the secret of gratitude. Six things. We're going to look at two verses. They're the second pair. Okay? So, uh, verse 3a. So, the first line. Okay? Know that the Lord, he is God. Know that the Lord, he is God. God. Let's just dig on this for a second. There are two names for God in this sentence, in this little fragment of a sentence, actually. Two names for God. There's, he is the Lord, L-O-R-D, capitals. Whenever you see capitals in, your, in the Old Testament, it is a reference to the proper name, the personal name of God, Yahweh. Yahweh. It's the name that God gave when he made covenant with his people. So this is the covenant-keeping God. It speaks to his loyalty, his faithfulness, his love and devotion to his people. There's another name for God here, which is Elohim. And you see it under the word God there. It's translated Elohim. Elohim is the word that is used in the very beginning in Genesis 1 when God created the heavens and the earth. Elohim. So this is, the, this is a reference to the creator God is the God who has power and authority and strength and might and who spoke and everything came into existence, Elohim, okay? And he's saying these are, in fact, not separate but one God, two names for the one true God. God is, this is his point, God is creator and covenanter, God is creator and covenanter, now, just imagine with me for a second if God was one but not the other, okay? Just, just for a moment. What if he was, uh, what if God was creator but didn't have a covenant with us? What would that mean? What would that mean? It would mean that God is all-powerful and strong, and he makes the world, and he does whatever he wants, and he's powerful, and he has authority, but it would feel really unsafe, wouldn't it? Because you wouldn't know if you were safe if you were secure if he was on if he was for you or if he was against you you wouldn't know if he right because you would have power but you wouldn't have love you'd never feel safe what what if you had a god who had covenant but was not the creator well if there's another god who created the world and god wants it's a different god but he wants to make a covenant with us you'd never feel safe would you you'd feel loved because hey this god wants to but he didn't make everything so that means someone's more powerful than him and the rug might get pulled out right so you never feel safe so but 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 that's not our god He is creator and covenanter. He is the power that made the worlds and spun galaxies into existence and he is the God who has set his affection upon you and has said, you are mine and I will love you and be faithful to you every day of your life until the end of time. Creator and covenanter. He is both infinite and intimate. This is your God. Secondly, it is he who made us and we are his. Verse 3b, it is he who made us and we are his. Notice how he's now drawing out the theme of creator. He gave us two names, creator and covenanter. Now he's going to play on the creator theme. If God is creator, then it means that God made us to be his very own. God made us to be his very own. Oh, we are His handiwork. He knit us together in our mother's wombs. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. He has crowned us with glory and honor. He has made us in His image that He might share life and love and share Himself with us. You say, why did God make the world? Was He lonely? Was He bored? <laughs> did He just need helpers? No! No, why did God make the world? It's the same reason we have kids. Not in all cases, but the same reason, generally speaking, that we have kids, which is we want to invite them into the world that we might love them to the very bottom of who they are. Right? And this is why God made us, that he might share himself with us and invite us into his love and affection and that he might make us into who we were always meant to be. We were made by him and for him and we belong to him. We are made for great beauty and great belonging, friends. Thirdly, we are his people and the sheep of his pasture. So now we've made the shift from creator. We're going to go riff on covenanter now. Okay, God has chosen us and shepherds us. That's what He's saying. God has chosen us and shepherds us. In other words, there's, there's some listen. There's something special about being chosen, isn't there? Being handpicked, selected, and singled out. If you know, out of all the room, He asked you to dance. Out of all the people, he's the one who said, would you go out with me? And of all the people, she's the one who gave her number to me. And she said, I do. There's something beautiful about being chosen. And love, listen, friends, love chooses, doesn't it? Love chooses the object of its affection. In the Old Testament, God chose the people of Israel. Not because of anything special that they did. Or that they were better than anybody else. No, 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 no. He just chose them because he chose them. He loved them because he loved them. Right? He set his affection on them. And they became beautiful because he loved them. And in the New Testament, God chooses his church. Not because there's anything awesome about us. Right? I mean, look at the guy next to you, right? He's like, no, no, apparently not. Right? Listen... God didn't pick you because you're amazing. He set his affection on you because he wanted to. He loves you because he loves you. That's it. You realize you put anything in there as a reason to love. He loves you because you're obedient. No, because one day you won't be. He loves you because you're uh, you're nice. No, because mm, Thursday. He loves you. He loves you. Be- he loves you because you're beautiful. That mm, okay? Some of you. Need to just get a better mirror. I'm, no, I'm just kidding. I, ah, I'm kidding. No, I'm telling you, it's a mirror. It's me. I'm talking. About, anyway, no, listen, we, right? He doesn't love you because you got it all together, because everything's nice. He doesn't, because you clean yourself up. He doesn't love us for anything in us. He loves us because he loves us. Period. That's it. He loves you. And because he loves you, he's made you his people. We are chosen and beloved and precious and protected in him. And He's our shepherd. The Lord is our shepherd, friends. We shall not want. He nurtures and guides and cares and provides and protects and defends and secures and upholds and keeps us. And he calls us by name and we follow him. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. He is with us always and forever. That's our God. We're his very own and he's very near. Number, what is this, five? Four, number four. Verse five, A, for the Lord is good. The Lord is good. God, listen friends, God is always good to us. God is always good to us. In good times or bad, we have a good, good Father. Amen? And notice the capital letters again. This is Yahweh, the covenant-keeping God. He is the one who is for us and never against us. His promises are yes and amen for us in Jesus Christ. So in times of abundance, we sense his blessing and favor and his kindness to us. And we recognize that he's protecting and he's defending and he's generous and he's blessed. And in the lean times, friends, when sorrows like sea billows roll and when hope seems hard to find, we recognize that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his pleasure. Because we have a God who is a redeemer who even in all the things that are intended for our harm, is working always for our good. Always. And God's goodness holds us on the mountains and in the valleys. Did you have a good year? God is good. Yes? Say it with me. God is good. Did you have a bad year? Say it with me. God is good is good because God is good (laughs) and all the time that's good let's just do that that's I know this cheesy church stuff but all right God is good and all the time amen amen number five number five verse five B. his steadfast love endures forever his steadfast love endures forever Here's the point. God is always loving to us. God is always loving to us. This is God's chesed love. Say that with me. Chesed. Ready? Can you do it? Ready? One, two, three. Chesed. Oh, man. Yeah, wipe the person's head in front of you. Yeah. Chesed is God's covenant-keeping, loyal, faithful, enduring love. Sally Lloyd-Jones calls this the never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking always and forever love of God. I love it. It is patient and kind. It's never envious or boastful. It's not arrogant or rude. It's not insistent on getting its own way. It's never irritable or resentful. It's it never rejoices in wrongdoing, but always with the truth. It's a love that bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. It's a love that never fails, never stops, never quits, and never comes to an end. His love endures forever. And friends, because God is love, He loves us always, always. Number six, 5C, verse 5C, and his faithfulness to all generations. His faithfulness endures to all generations. Listen, God is always faithful to us, friends. God is always faithful to us. He's promised us, hasn't he? Listen, a lot of people have promised to be faithful to you and to me. And then they systematically let us down. (laughs) Right? I mean, that's the history of our experience in this world. People who promise and maybe mean well but always end up disappointing. And God is saying, listen, you, you have a choice. You can either become bitter and cynical about all of that or you can fall into my faithful arms because I will never let you go. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will be faithful to you until the very end of time. Deuteronomy 7 verse 9 says this. It sounds just like this psalm. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is a faithful God. Keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations. To those who love him and keep his commands. Listen friends, listen. God is not going anywhere. He will never walk out on you. He will never stand you up. You can count on him. Never will I leave you, Jesus says. Never will I forsake you. I will be with you always to the very end of the age. And do you notice how these last three things are interconnected? God is always good to us. He is always loving to us. He is always faithful to us. Because God is always good to us, we can trust his intentions. Because God is always loving to us, we can trust his actions. And because God is always faithful to us, we can always trust his presence. Do you see that? He's good, we trust his intentions. He's loving, we can trust his actions. And he's faithful so we can trust his presence. I was on the internet yesterday. Isn't that a great place, the internet? It's just such a wholesome place. I just feel right at home there. Anyway, but I was on, the, I was on social media and um, I saw this. You ever so often you get a little moment, right? This is one of them. I saw this story about a guy named Michael and Linda. Michael and Linda, they're married. They've been married 34 years. Michael has Alzheimer's and doesn't have memory of very much from day to day. Okay. Earlier this week, he looked over at Linda and said, I really like you. Will you marry me? And she said... My darling, I would be delighted to marry you. And so yesterday they renewed their vows. And that's so sweet. And listen, humans are really messed up. Just as a whole, we're a mess, aren't we? And yet in that little moment, I thought I saw the face of God just a little bit. His heart, His love, on both sides of this. Do you you realize God will always choose you? He'll choose you again. Even if you become a project to him. Even if you forget his love. Even if you're not even in your right mind. He will choose you again and again and again. Because he loves you. This is your God, your Lord God, your creator and covenanter who made you to be his very own, who has chosen you and shepherds you and who is always good to you, always loving to you, always faithful to you to the very end. So friends, make a joyful noise to the Lord. Serve him with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks unto him and bless his name. Let these realities, these truths, sink deep down in your heart. See them and know them so that it stirs your affections, your heart, and you are turned outward in worship and awe and praise and let it shape the way you live so that you change and become the people God has always meant for you to be. Don't you see? So here's our takeaway Sometimes I send you home to do homework, right? Today we get to do it right here, right now. And so I want us to do something. It'll be a little awkward, I hope. We'll get over it, okay? All right? I want you to find two to three people. Find, Find a neighbor. Actually, just find one person. Find one person and share a couple things that you're deeply grateful for that God's doing in your life in this season. Let's praise and worship him together. Let's just, just share, right? And find that level of vulnerability that feels good and fitting and the trust and the relationship and all of that, okay? But can, can we do that? Can we just huddle up with somebody around us? Let's just share out loud. We'll put some background music on for a few minutes. Let's just share it and worship and thank God for who he is, for what he's done, and how he's blessing us, okay? Can we do that? All right, pair up. Let's do it right now. Come on, everybody. Let's do it. It'll be great. Awesome. I love it. I hate to cut short your gratitude. This is good. This is good. So that this is phase one of our gratitude. Okay, this is where we share. This is what God wants us to do. Yes, to share, to exalt His name, to give thanks and praise and credit and glory to Him. He deserves it, all of it. So this is phase one: our gratitude to each other. The second thing we're going to do, we're going to sing. We're going to sing Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Some of some of us have the gift of singing like I do, which is I'm great there and not here, right? I was mortified the other week they accidentally left my microphone on and I was singing and I could oh, it was horrible. So I shut up really fast, and all God's people said, amen. Yeah. But listen, listen, even if you have my gift, okay, he says, make a joyful noise, right? I can do that, right? It may not be beautiful, but it's joyful, and it's noise, and it's all the earth, and that includes me, yeah? So let's, as we sing now, would you just, just forget the people around you and just sing like from your heels like no one is listening except your father? Because he's the only one that matters anyway. Can we just belt it out for his glory? Can we do that? The last thing we're going to do, and I, unfortunately, first service was so generous, it blew our whole plan. We had these giving trees. And they were full of tags of gifts to give, and they took all of them. They were like, we're going to show second service how it's done, all right? Which means we have to rally and figure out how we're going to be more generous than first service, okay? So here's what we're going to do. As we sing and worship in this next song we have a chance to give back and we're going to have the ushers come down. This is like a benevolence offering. It's going to go to families in need. It's, listen, when, when they came into the temple and they did their offering, right, it was for the poor in the community to come and eat and share in the meal and the gratitude of all that what God had done, right? God's blessed, listen, God's blessings don't get uniformly distributed on this earth. True? It is our job as God's people To make that, to show mercy and grace to each other that he has. So if God has inordinately blessed us, it is in order that we might be a blessing to others. Do you see that? So our job is to willingly set this right a little bit so this is what thanksgiving is about this is what worship in the temple is about this is what we're going to do so gratitude leads to generosity and it changes us so here's what we're going to do because we don't have tags to do and they did all that the ushers are going to come this is a chance to be generous those tags are like ten dollars each in general so could you give like ten dollars your first gift, and we will make sure all of this goes to families in need this Christmas, okay? And we will amplify what we're doing through the giving tags and other things. We will make it all count for Jesus. So if you can give like 10 bucks, I know some of you are not cash people, so we'll, we will have a text to give deal on the screen. We do, right there. And if you text to that number, the word care, it will, how does it work? It'll bounce back and tell you, take and you. All your money. It'll take all your money. <laughs> I know that freaks some of you out. (laughs) It really does work. So you can do that as well. All right? I know that freaks people out. But anyway, so if you don't have cash, you can do that. All right? And of course, if you want to be a part of this later, you can always swing by the office or bring it next week or whatever. Okay? So we're going to do that. So let's stand. Let's worship. The ushers will come down with plates. This one is the benevolence offering. There will be an offering later, which is just the normal one. Okay? This is the benevolence one. We'll do the normal offering later. I'm sorry. Again, I know that's confusing. We didn't plan this this way. It's just how it worked. Okay, let me pray for us, and then we will stand, worship and give in generosity. Father, we thank you for who you are. And the radical truths that shape our lives stir our hearts and prompt our worship and all of our lives to be given to you in surrender. and surrender. Father, we. No, there's no more fitting or reasonable act of worship that we give all that we are as a spiritual sacrifice, an act of offering who we are to you. And so this money and this stuff, this is just a small taste. What we're giving you is ourselves. We offer all that we are to you. There's no more fitting thing we could do for you have given everything for us. And we love you and we worship you in Jesus' name.